Welcome to the podcast where together, every Monday, we explore hospitality in its very broader sense. From culture and cooking, cocktails and coffee, nutrition and farming, politics and animal welfare, organic and sustainability, family and business, entrepreneurship, and much, much more. Come and learn with me, Mark Cribb, about where our food and our drink comes from and the businesses and more importantly the human beings that thrive on where we decide to spend our time and our money. Sign up to our weekly newsletter at humansofhospitality.co.uk and hit subscribe on your podcast player of choice. Imagine a time where every garage, community centre, care home and accountancy firm offer you an amazing, no compromise cup of coffee. A time when bean to cup machines have the details of which farms are behind their ethical hot drinks and powdered milk is a thing of the past. Could this be the next stage in our coffee revolution, building on the growth of artisanal coffee roasters? Tim Wookie, co-founder of Amamas, thinks so. In this very competitive market, Tim is focusing on a specific niche, helping value-led businesses, from legal firms to care homes, to source better coffee. And when I say better, I mean better all the way along the line, from paying farmers a proper rate for their work and collaborating with artisanal roasters, to showing customers how to operate the bean-to-cut machines so the final cappuccino is as good as it can be. In other words, it's not ruined in those last precious 30 seconds after all of that effort. In this program, you'll learn fascinating things about the life cycle of speciality coffee, how Jamaican Blue Mountain Mist slows the ripening process so the beans emerge with even more flavour, and why coffee specialists proudly slurp their way through a cupping session. Enjoy the conversation. Tim Wookie, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. Hugely appreciated. Uh, can you just explain to people listening where we are in the world, please, Tim? Hi, hi Mark. Uh, we're at my house, which is our kind of base of uh, work, um, which is a bit ironic, really, because uh, the role of our business is to is to improve the coffee experience in people's place of work. So, but we don't have a place of work, um, and I suppose one of the drivers is perhaps being able to get a decent cup of coffee at home. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, well, it's working because I have actually got a lovely cup of coffee. Good and. Uh, and for the first time, I've been doing these podcasts in the last few months, just bombarded by storm after storm after storm. And the fact that I'm sat here in the sunshine looking out at a field of daffodils in your back garden makes me happy because it means spring is coming. It Tim. isn't. And the commute's so, not too bad here either. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, near Limington, lovely little part of the world, isn't it? Mainly known for its yachts and stuff like that, more than coffee, I suppose. So. Yeah. Um, so I want to start this this conversation a little bit around um, one of the coffees you source called Midnight Blue, which you launched, um, because I think it demonstrates this kind of... Uh, I don't know just just how much quality there is out there, and, and we'll, so we'll we'll start the conversation around that. Um, what was Midnight Blue, and how did you go about sourcing it? Yeah, so, so Midnight Blue is an idea that started years ago for me, um, and uh, I, my my wife. I'd always been interested in coffee, and we'll, we'll probably come back to that. But but um, my wife bought me some uh, Jamaica Blue Mountain coffee. And uh, I had a grinder as well at the time. So I sat down and I had a place in Surrey at the time, sat in the kitchen on a Sunday morning and I was looking at these beans and I was kind of excited about them. And um, I, I ground them carefully. I sat down with the papers. It was pre-kids when we could do that. And um, uh, I knocked up this coffee and it was it was just delightful. It was like nothing I'd ever kind of drunk before. It was so silky and smooth in the cup and full of bright acidity and 
just the world seemed a better place at that point. And I, and I, and I thought, do you know what? If, if coffee can really create this experience, I'll, 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 you know, I'm sure there's more we can, we can do with it. And, and it just piqued my interest. And I, I wanted to look into this and find out why does this coffee taste so good? And I think Jamaica Blue Mountain is kind of a good starting place because it's got a fab story. It's, um, it's similar to a wine appellation in that it's a very defined geographical space that's at the perfect altitude, the right terrain and soil. And um, the, the effort that goes into picking the coffee isn't dissimilar to you know, that, that a winemaker. And I'm going to kind of be unapologetic. I'm going to make a lot, draw a lot of parallels with wine today because I think it, uh, people miss that, uh, but it's, it's important. Um, so uh, the more I read into about this, this coffee, the more I thought, this story needs to be told. It's a great story, and I don't think anyone really understands it. So I got into my head at that point. I, I, I worked in marketing, and I thought, Do you know what, I think we can tell this story a bit better. So th the idea came that I think we need to brand this as opposed to just taking Jamaica Blue Mountain to market because... Uh, the, once the Jamaicans grow this coffee in this particular space, they then hand it over to an exporter and then it comes to an importer and it arrives with us. But we can really make a cock up of it at this end as well. So um, the, 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 the same care that they put into growing this coffee, we need to apply at the point of roasting it, packing it, distributing it and making sure it arrives as fresh as possible. So for me, creating a brand experience allowed us to control that whole process from bringing in the right beans to making sure that we treat them correctly this end and get them to the customer correctly. So that, that was where the idea for, for, for Midnight Blue came from. So really it's a, it's a pure Jamaica Blue Mountain bean that we, that we launched, that we chose, um, and then we, 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 we managed the process this end in terms of roasting. Great. So you were sipping that beautiful cup of coffee in your relaxed Sunday morning pre-child days, which is amazing. I was reminiscing as you were saying that, <laughs> going, man, I remember those days. Um, what is it that's so special about it then? When you actually went and did the research and went, okay, why is this so different? Yeah, what's so special about those beans? What, in terms of the taste or the... No, the... no, as in, as in what are they doing differently as to where they're sourced, how they're grown? Why is it such a special you know, cup of coffee compared to any other coffee? Yeah, sure. So... <sighs> It's, I mean, just like wine, it's the it, it's the, the the volcanic soil that it grows. You know, the the, the Caribbean's are, you know it's volcanic, so um, it's extremely mountainous. And there's a particular band around the mountain, so the higher reaches of the mountain, um, they they're, they're too treacherous to pick and probably too high as well. Because all coffee's grown in um, an area called the Bean Belt, which is between the two tropics, so around the equator. And the reason being is that it's got that stability of temperature. I mean, if you look up there, I've got two coffee plants. Um, uh, those are two uh, Arabica coffee plants, and I struggle to kind of keep them alive because they, they just can't bear changes in um, in, in in temperature. So um, there was a very defined uh, area, uh, geographical space that, that that was the perfect growing um, uh, environment. Then we've got um, the, the, the 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 pickers only pick the ripe red cherries. So um, as a, as a, as a as a coffee uh, cherry ripens on the bush, it goes from green to red. And uh, often in lower grade coffees, it's just strip picked. So the the pickers will just pull them all off. But the um, in Jamaica, they only pick the red ones. They do multiple passes, and, and it's treacherous work. It's incredibly steep uh, the the landscape there. And then when it comes back to the uh, processing plant, the 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 the, the people uh, sat at tables with little lights above the tables, literally flicking it one bean by one bean across from one side of the table to the other, and they're removing any defects uh, from from there. So they'll often lose thirty percent of the crop in that kind of very very slow process. But what it does mean is that we get a perfect sized, perfect bean with absolutely no defects, which is really important because. 
uh, bean size uh, and bean density is very important when it comes into the roaster because if we've got lots of different size, shape and density of beans in the roaster, then they respond differently to the temperature and then they work work differently. I'm, I'm, so. I've, you know, I've got to mention that because it's great. There's literally a bouncing dog. He's pretty good, isn't he? He got to about four foot then, I think. <laughs> this is a demand to be let into the, uh, into the room. Hello. Happy dog. <laughs> It's all right, no worries. Leaf it up that so long. Yeah, no problem. It was funny though. In the background, you see a leaping yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, leap, leaping up. Seen. Quite a technique. So, what's that actual that that bean has got a specific name then? Is it? Is this the Blue Mountain Jamaica Blue Mountain? It's a Jamaica it? Blue Mountain bean. Right. Yeah, but it's, but it's named. But every what's interesting, what's what's really interesting for me is every single coffee plant around the world has the same ancestor. Really? Uh, yeah. Well, a uh, coffee was originally uh, it was a native shrub in Ethiopia. So, uh, well, with some arguments, to be honest. Uh, uh, the, the Yemen often claim uh, claim or coffee as, the, as, the, as their own is native to Yemen, but I, I think most people uh, believe that it probably was uh, Ethiopia and it was um, shipped across uh, the, the uh, to the Arabian Peninsula. And the the Arabs were particularly good at organising the sort of distribution and export from the port of Mocha, which really? is where the word Mocha no comes way. from. Yeah, it's now a, now a defunct port. Um, okay, that's awesome. So how long ago are we talking about then? If if the first plant was Ethiopia or Yemen, you know, how, how, like, is this thousands of years or about a thousand years ago? Yeah, was when ago. we started to kind of understand uh, coffee. Yeah. Right. So those ones then in this um, volcanic mountainside in Jamaica, this is a farm. They're planted, or are these kind of like now wild? Coffee yeah, they're all farms. Or? There's 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 lots and lots of small holder farms um, where they own the they own the space and they collect the coffees and they bring them through to processing mills. So in 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 the Jamaica Mountains, there's quite a few different processing mills. Uh, one's called Clifton Mount Estate, and we were using their coffee recently. So they they bring the the cherries in that have been picked. They remove the um, the the mucilage and the the skins and all of the the sort of flesh, the fruit flesh from around the the seed inside. And then that seed is uh, carefully. Um, well, it's using using a, a washed process. They, re- they 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 finish the removal of the mucilage and then they dry the coffee out there, right. and they get it down to about sort of twenty percent moisture, and then it's ready for export. So what we get is what we receive is a, is a sort of bluey green bean, and the the Jamaica Blue Mountain ones are particularly pretty. They are they do have a real kind of a blue hue to them. But the right. mountains are called actually Jamaica Blue Mountains because of the cloud cover. There's a persistent shroud of blue mist. And just going back to your point about the the, the, the blue mist is, is helpful because it slows the ripening process down by up to 30%, which means that the, those those particular cherries just develop more 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 flavour. Right. The reason I'm smiling is that I just, you know, we were chatting before we even started recording this, but that I love people's obsession and their geekiness. And, and isn't it amazing that, yeah, you know, the volcanic soil, the mist, the nuances uh, that go into creating something, because there's lots of good coffee in the world, but, you know, the very best, just those tiny little details that make such a difference are fantastic, especially that so many are created by nature. Again, when we were chatting earlier about the tea and the little mite that comes out and eats around the leaf of the tea tree, and then that tea tree releases some enzymes, and there's all these things going on in nature, which is way beyond what we can do as kind of human beings, isn't it? You can't yeah. make a mountain misty to improve your coffee. For <laughs> no. You've got to rely on that. Um so how did you go about sourcing that then? You 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 clearly uh, did this start. I, you drank a nice coffee. You got on Google. You flew over there and had a look. Or, yeah, I think uh, it was probably from London, from Selfridges or somewhere like that. But 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 I did when I went back to get it again. I looked at the coffee sat in these kind of big silos, and I thought, well, how long's that coffee been sat there? I've got no idea when this has been roasted. Um, it's exposed to air, um, and I just thought, you know, we can do this better. Right. So um, if we control the process end to end, so green beans last about. Um, 
they can last up to 12 months really uh, comfortably. So they will stay in an inert state provided they're in the right temperature conditions and not picking up kind of aromas and things because they are quite spongy. They'll last for about a year. So once you've got the green beans, you, 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 you can sit on them. And it's only when you start the roasting process that, that you really trigger the, um, uh, yeah, the, 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 the process of degradation in the, in the bean. But it does happen quite quickly. So our idea with Midnight Blue was, was to do a, a direct-to-consumer uh, route. So what we could do is we could do limited edition uh, batches, roast batches, and then distribute straight away. So it went straight out to the customer following roast. So there was never, it's never been on our plan to do any retail with this because I've seen Jamaica Blue Mountain sat in retail and you just, it can't sit, you can't, really coffee shouldn't sit on shelves, certainly not pre-ground coffee, which is how a lot of people want to buy in retail anyway. So we figured that the direct uh, to customer market was going to be better. Yeah, amazing. Um, Sourcing it, you direct to the to the to the farmers. No, we haven't got, got a no we, we, that you've got in the UK that can source at that level of premium. It's yeah, so we, we we tried um, a few different uh, different coffees from the different estates there, and then we settled on the uh, the Clifton Mount estate has been the one that's going to suit our needs the best, and we, we got that from a, a UK importer. The process of importing and exporting coffee is quite complex, and you know e- even with our our, our other business um, where we're 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 supplying coffee to to businesses. My ambition is to develop direct trade relationships. And don't get me wrong, I'd, I'd love to go to Jamaica. I'd, I'd love to have a direct trade relationship. But but the the sad truth is it's, it's not that easy to do, certainly as a small business like ours. To, to get direct trade relationships is really difficult. You do rely on importers. But... The, the great thing about coffee is you can you can taste it, you can cup it. You know, there's a, a process for going through to check the quality of what you're buying and make sure that what you agreed to at the beginning is is in fact what you're receiving. And um, we, we we follow all of that and make sure that the quality is is is, is there. But no, we we buy from importers, and um, so we own we own the green beans. But the great thing about Jamaica Blue Mountain um, is it's I think it's the only coffee from around the world that's actually delivered in wooden barrels. Really? So we yeah, we've got a whole bunch here of um, the, the 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 wooden barrels. Um, that the coffee was delivered in and it comes with a certificate of authenticity too because that was another concern of mine buying Jamaica Blue Mountain online is that one coffee bean kind of looks a lot like another one certainly a quality one you can see a commodity coffee that's broken and oily um, looks very different but, but a lot of good quality coffee beans do look similar certainly once they're roasted so we what we wanted to provide was that kind of absolute reassurance that it was it was freshly roasted it was authentic it arrived in a barrel with a certificate of authenticity and um we were getting to people as fresh as we possibly could. Yeah, those barrels are they like a like a booze barrel, like a kind of like I'm thinking like bourbons and oak yeah, barrels. Yeah, and yeah, that that's exactly stuff. what they look like. Yeah, really? they yeah. smell amazing. Yeah, Can you yeah. use them for making drinks. Well, you know what? They don't smell amazing because oh, they're not they're carrying not roasted. roasted coffee. Yeah, yeah. No, and green green coffee smells yeah, yeah. Uh, vegetal. Um, yeah. It's a completely different yeah, yeah, uh, right. experience. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it wouldn't be quite the same as uh, I was chatting to a, a, a rum um, distiller last week in Portsmouth. Funny enough, he's got the incredibly uh, painful job of waiting three years for his first aged rum to be ready. So he's right. got it in a fort in, in Portsmouth. And uh, yeah, he's just patiently waiting for this. It's in old bourbon oak barrels yeah. in the US, basically. And, uh, to pick yeah, up some of the flavours. To pick up the flavours, yeah, yeah. And the, the oak and the bourbon and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, imagine having to wait, just look at it for three years. And he's yeah. got another one, which is going to be a five year. And an even better one, which is waiting for his 60th birthday. And that's eight years away. And I was like, well, that's a patient game, isn't it? At least yeah. we can roast coffee. Well, many beverages, don't they? Like whiskey and wine, they, 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 they benefit with age. Coffee's <laughs> roast 
roasted coffee certainly doesn't benefit with age. It's 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 be, it's at its best really, um, you know, within the first few weeks after roasting. So yeah, so sounds like an uh, it's an amazing amount of work going on there around uh, yeah picking the beans at just the right spot. You know, sorting them by hand. Uh, yeah, wooden barrels to distribute them. How much more expensive is that therefore as a raw ingredient to purchase say than you kind of you know, run-of-the-mill coffee? Is it like 300% more, 10%? What's the kind of price difference? It's, it's, it's a huge difference. It's kind of, um, it's probably 100 times more wow. expensive for us to buy uh, than, um, than, a, than a kind of more regular coffee. So you kind of get this disparity, you know, with... Um, with 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 it because it, 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 it's it, it's super expensive for us to buy and um and then you've got your packaging costs what we wanted to do was make sure that uh we wanted to build a premium brand out of this so uh we wanted the whole experience to m mirror the the, the the whole experience to mirror the the kind of taste of the the coffee so um all of the um the, the packaging we created booklets that explain the story we wanted i wanted people to have that moment that i had but but a better version of it where they actually had all the information not having to go and research it afterwards um and create a really luxurious experience out of coffee which kind of hasn't been done particularly you know, we see it in, in, in many other sectors but um we just figured that the time was uh you know there was an opportunity to do it with with coffee mm. Yeah, amazing. All right, well, we'll we'll come back to uh, that because I know that's only one part of your business and and a, and a sort of smaller part at the moment. Um, but in general, Amarmus is the name of the uh, your your primary business. What's Amarmus? What does it do? Well, I, I have to repeat it quite a few times when people ask me what what it is. Um, it's a slightly obscure name, but but we didn't want to be the the Limington Roasting Company or anything like that because it kind of would limit where we went in the futures. And and also we're we're a sort of a white label um, brand anyway. Uh, to start off with, it means we love in Latin. And I suppose um, th this whole business was born of a, of a passion, a, a, a love for doing things. Well, not just coffee, you know, the, creating great experiences in life. That, that's my passion. Um, and, and coffee is kind of my, my, my vehicle, the sort of the language that we're, we're, we're using. But I, I do have a great deal of passion. So, so the, the idea of we love um, sort of, encapsulated who, who we are and what we're about and it, it informs how we do business every, every 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 day so so that's where the name came from but yeah we're primarily we we white we kind of white label coffees for clients specialty coffee for clients so we only deal with specialty coffee specialty grade coffee what do you mean by that specialty coffee specialty grade coffee it's, it's a widely misunderstood uh, term because I think people think it, it means um, a wooden clad uh, coffee shop, you know, a sort of stylish looking coffee shop. But but it, it is it is an objective grading system for coffee, which means that it meets certain standards, and those standards are clearly defined by the Specialty Coffee Association, uh, which was America and Europe, but they've now they've now joined. And what what they say is that a coffee has to meet uh, a particular screen size. It has to have zero primary defects in the green beans, so so no insect damage, no rot, no fungal growth. It has to meet certain moisture criteria, um, and that's at the green bean stage. So so this coffee's got to kind of look perfect uh, when uh, it's inspected by a Q grader, who is someone, I suppose, a bit like a master of wine, who's gone through the qualifications to meet the standards to inspect coffee. And then it moves into tasting, where they will um, cup, which is the term for tasting coffee, uh, and they follow set standards for cupping procedure. And then they, um, they, they, they taste the coffee and 
they are they are measuring it against acidity, sweetness, um, body, and what they're looking for is positive attributes in the in the cup. If they find no positive attributes, it will be it will have a lower a lower score, even if it meets those um, the sort of the, the green bean uh, standards. So they they find some positive attributes, and then they are able to give that coffee a score. And uh, I think it's three Q graders need to be within ten percent of each other's score, and then that score is attached to that coffee, and it travels with it so it's a it's obviously a known lot uh it's come from a particular cooperative and it's got um it's got sort of um its provenance attached to it so we know where that coffee's come from and what the score is it's amazing isn't it that's why i like having these conversations i don't think your average kind of joe blogs who walking into a coffee shop having a coffee has got any idea of the amount of work that's go goes on behind the scenes of that to know that there's that level of kind of scrutiny yeah, all the way yeah. through those beans which is why it's exactly the reason i started this podcast is i want people to to start making decisions consciously rather than subconsciously and to actually think about yeah, the amount of work that goes in and where you choose to go and spend your money and which coffee shop you go into can kind of uh, yeah reward all of that work and all of that effort. But uh, people don't don't appreciate it. I don't think do they? They, they don't. And and that's that. You know, going back to the, sort of the beginning, that's that was my frustration is that the, the coffee's got this just tremendous story. Every you know, all decent coffee's got a tremendous story behind it, and those stories aren't well told. And, and there's lots of reasons why I think I think the fact that coffee comes out of a machine generally allows us to disconnect from its um, you know its agricultural origins. It really is no different to uh, to, to you know to wine in that respect. It, it grows naturally, it, it ripens, and that story just isn't isn't well understood. And that's why I have these plants sit here. They remind me every day. You know, this is where the coffee comes from. It is an agricultural uh, product, and every single coffee bean, uh, Brazil and Vietnam aside. Um, generally is picked by hand. So, so when you look at that coffee bean in a hopper, somebody's hand has picked that. And we talk a lot about all the hands that are involved in the process because there's so many people involved in it going from being a cherry on the coffee shrub right through to a roasted bean in a hopper in a coffee shop or a, an office environment. So um, I, I, I'm, I'm a romantic and that excites me. Um, but... You, you overlay all this. I'm getting very excited about this small area, specialty coffee sector within which we're working. But the sad truth is, is the majority of coffee we're all buying is commodity-grade coffee, which is the, the other type of coffee, the much bigger um, grade of coffee, which isn't treated with the same kind of level of care and attention. It's coffee that's grown by farmers who are uh, have to sell into the New York futures, um, the sort of commodities market, at the price set by the market. And that price typically is under, under the cost of production. Um, I, I, I watched last night the uh, dispatches program that was launched this week that was kind of primarily focused on uh, child labor. But what's driving the child labor is the fact that families aren't making sufficient income from one individual in the family working on a coffee farm. So it's, it's the, the, all this romance I'm talking about applies only really to kind of a very narrow um, section of the coffee producing market. Most people are being pushed into a horrible situation where they're making insufficient revenues from farming coffee. So what they're doing is they're either walking off their farms that, that families have, um, have tended for generations. There's a big mi migration issue in, I think, Guatemala, where they're all moving up to the States. They're just walking off the farms. It's not worth it. If you're going to lose money growing coffee, what's, what's, the, what's the point? Mm. And then you've got... Um, uh, people just 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 turning over coffee farms to other more um, uh, other 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 agricultural products that, that that make them more revenue, like avocados and things. So, so 
um, I suppose with Amamus, what we're doing is we're, we're trying to raise awareness of uh, what the benefits that quality coffee brings, because we figure it's uh, a very much a win-win arrangement. In the, if, we, if we bring a specialty coffee into a business, they benefit from a better quality coffee that's been objectively tasted uh, and it, it, tastes, uh, it tastes good, it meets certain score criteria. The farmers are paid significantly more, not to the Jamaica Blue Mountain level. I mean, that, that's extreme and, and, and that's pushed up principally by the sort of Japanese. They, they buy 80% of the crop. But, but they will often get three, four, five times more, uh, more for their specialty grade coffee than they would for a commodity grade coffee. So the revenues are, 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 are better. And the, and the whole system starts to work because at a ground level, the farmer's able to pay their employees uh, better. Uh, some of the farms from whom we buy provide childcare, you know, to make sure that the while the workers working on the farm, their small children can be looked after. Um, they, they they can undertake environmental initiatives, and importantly, they're able to invest and um, embrace and look at uh, how they fight the issues that are coming you know, being brought on by global warming. Leaf rust is a huge problem around the world, and that, that with the rising temperatures. Um, fungus grows uh, on the, the 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 coffee leaves and makes them go uh, brown, and that's creating devastating problems around the world. We've got more insect damage because insects are able to kind of move further up the mountains. Um, so they need to be investing at a farm level in initiatives that help them combat the environmental issues as well as the economic issues they face. So. In short, what we're trying to do is create this win-win, this virtuous circle where we encourage clients to pay a little bit more for their for a, a specialty-grade coffee, and then that 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 rattles back down the uh, supply chain to allow the farmers to, to 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 continue doing better work on the ground. Perfect, and we'll come into a little bit in a minute about who you supply and why. Um, but just to step back in a couple of ways, two ways. First of all, speciality coffee. How much, uh, from a consumer perspective, uh, how much of the coffee we're drinking on the high street is speciality coffee? Any of it? Uh, if you've got a uh, a specialty coffee shop, and I use that uh, word, that word carefully, because um, they will they will talk about the coffee, and they will probably talk about the cupping score of the coffee. Then you're probably drinking uh, specialty coffee, but the majority of coffee that's available to us isn't specialty coffee. No. Okay, and then going back to that um, scoring process, uh, and I don't know what these guys are called who do it, but this is done. Uh, at source is this is this at a farm level or the farmers push all their coffee into some sort of middleman in you know in the Caribbean or wherever they happen to be in the world it's not done in the UK I take it no it's it's done right the way through so they will score the coffees on the ground at, at a farm level so they will take samples of the green beans and they will roast them using sample roasters and they will cut the coffee at the farm level and and then that's when people are able to auction and buy the coffees with a, a particular score attached to those coffees now clearly transportation can affect coffee so when the coffee lands in the uk it's also cupped by the importers and they match the score against that which was uh, attributed at the farm level and provided those two two scores meet up then they're comfortable to distribute that coffee to uk roasters amazing um positive attributes i love that you've got to look for positive attributes in the cup yeah. these are specific rather than just having a sip and going oh i'm feeling pretty happy about life do you know what we good. can get we can get really geeky about it. it's whether you enjoy the coffee but a good coffee like like any good things has got a balance in the cup so um acidity is often i don't know it doesn't sound necessarily like a nice word but acidity is really important in a cup it brings brightness and vibrancy and life to the cup but too much acidity and it starts to move into sort of sour which you, you don't want so 
Um, you want decent body, a good aroma, some some interesting flavour notes in there. But the, the thing about coffee is, um, and, and I'm I'm really I'm, I've really learned this over the last year of being quite you know extremely close to it, is that uh, n- not everybody has the same preferences for coffee. So, uh, and also your own preferences for coffee will change as well as you go. You know, I've moved into the sort of really really acidic kind of coffees, and now I'm backing slightly out of that. And if I was to take a um, a coffee with a very high acidity into a, a more traditional style of firm, they wouldn't even know it's coffee. They'd say, "Is this a fruit tea you've brought me?" You know, it really tastes very very different. But the great thing about what we do is we're buying from all different regions. So if they if we know they like a deeper darker style of coffee then we can go to a sumatran or somewhere that's got the kind of more earthy smoky notes yeah but um yeah because coffees from around the world all taste different and yeah. so what we can do is we can once we understand uh, someone's uh, or a, an organization's taste preferences we can then start to design a coffee now i don't mean that we can design it at the farm level but you know we can buy coffees from regions that we think demonstrate uh, and show uh, taste profiles that will be attractive to them yeah I'm kind of thinking how 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 deep do you go because we we've obviously done some of this cupping process and then the blends of coffee and do you use a single origin kind of coffee or do you start to blend to get kind of other nuances and other yeah. flavors and all that kind of jazz but you're looking at all of that uh the cupping process you can only cup it once it's been roasted can you you can yeah right. so well, literally... I was listening to a podcast this morning and someone has made a ready to drink coffee out of a green bean um so I, I you know I, can't imagine that tasting no, very nice. So, so, um, so at anything's all, possible. And that and that cupping process is a set. Can you just tell us what that involves? Basically, how do you cup a coffee? Yeah. First of all, I'm not a Q grader yeah. uh, at all. Uh, so um, I, I cup uh, at, a, at a sort of. Um, a whole, uh, so well, when I'm, I say you, I don't necessarily mean you specifically. Yeah. I just mean in general. How's yeah, so, what so is that what, process? What you do is you take you, you bring a number of coffees uh, forward to the the, the the table as as roasted beans, and they should ideally they're all roasted to the kind of the SCA um, roast standards, which is generally a kind of a reasonably light roast because what you want is to um, is to accentuate and develop uh, and, and and showcase the flavors that are in the beans, not the flavors that are created by created by the roasting process i'll kind of come back to that but um so we've got a consistently roasted bean ideally or beans ideally and then they're consistently ground we measure them into a a small bowl um like a like a teacup without a as a handle and then we uh put hot water over the uh over the coffee grinds and then we leave them to sit um for uh, five minutes, then we break what's called the crust with a spoon because in much like a cafetiere, all of the grinds will kind of create a crust at the top. So we break that, which allows the, the sort of majority of the remaining grinds to drop to the bottom and wait for about 11 minutes. And after that, it's simply a case of getting a spoon, dipping it in and slurping. And, and what, slurp. yeah, yeah. what I learned was that the more noise you can make, the A, the more professional you look, but, yeah. but I suppose more importantly, the, um, the more, the more flavours are released in, uh, across your nose because a lot of the flavours in coffee are the kind of the, the volatile compounds that, 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 that um, you're trying to release because your nose has got a lot of the receptors for, for flavours. So you're looking then for the differences in the cup. What you find in the cup are, are there any defects in the cup? Is there any problems with that coffee? And then objectively, how do those coffees taste? What, what do you like about them? You know, what, what, what's working well and how might you use them? And so... First of all, you're looking for defects and problems. Then you're perhaps looking for what the um, what the the, the, the flavour profile is. And then you might, if you're looking at developing blends, you might be um, looking for a particular coffee to introduce into a blend. So 
One of our popular espresso blends that we distribute has got specialty uh, Ethiopia, Sumatra and Peru in it. And each of those coffees brings um, brings something to the, the espresso party. A bit like, I think of it as music. So like the Ethiopian brings the treble, the floral, the high notes to the espresso blend and, and some of the aromas. Then the uh, Sumatra brings the bass, the, the, the low levels, the kind of earthiness to it. And then you've got the Peru that's kind of got the chocolatey mid-range. And like music, like anything, if you've got that kind of balance, then um, then it works well in the um, in the cup. Amazing. That's a great analogy. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so have you have you had examples where you've uh, kind of you know agreed a coffee to import it? You've done the cupping, and, and then actually it's come and it's been very different at that second stage where it arrives, or has that been no, no? Do, do you know what I mean? That brings up an interesting point around uh, the sort of trade arrangement. So with the Jamaica Blue Mountain, we did buy that direct from an importer, but but at the moment, you know, we've been running a year. We're a small business, and as I alluded to earlier, direct trade relationships are very very difficult to develop. There are more platforms coming forward. There's one called Algrano that um, it would be great if we're working with them in the future who kind of broker direct trade relationships and allow smaller uh, roasters to, to, to do that. But right now, it's it's kind of impossible for me to run a business on the ground here and manage the sales function, the kind of quality control function of existing clients, installation machines, and be going out to origin to source coffees. It just it, it, it's just not possible. So uh, we 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 buy usually via the importers and via the roasting network with with whom we 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 work. So they take a lot of that headache out from you. But what you don't get is that direct. Uh, relationship with the, with the farmer. That is exactly where we want to go in the future. I would like to be, uh, I, I want direct farm trade relationship because I believe that's the future. That's where we can really control the process end to end. But as a small business at the moment, we can't jump from kind of A to C. We've we got to step up B first and, and build, um, build our business to give us the opportunity, the resources to be able to kind of take the business to the next stage, which is where we'd like to go. So no, in answer to your question, the uh, importers typically manage that process uh, for us yeah perfect and, and I haven't been in business you know for 16 17 years now myself and we always try and you know end up trying to do everything ourselves we employ our own bakers and our own butchers and, and stuff and then I don't know I get to the point in the end where I go everybody's really good at their niche and if you can find a really good importer who has got and that's their business and they have got the time to go out there and travel and cup and import and all that kind of stuff sometimes it is just a a more efficient process but like you I, I suppose it's that um, dream of being out there in a four by four driving around the coffee <laughs> yeah. farm kind of meeting yeah, yeah meeting the local guys making it but um anyway um you alluded to it then so the next stage in this process is the roasting stage yeah having really good roasters so in a similar way you're not roasting yourself here but you work within a, a you know quite a tight niche within the market i guess can you just explain a little bit i suppose of the difference of where a lot of coffee is roasted and, and how you achieve the kind of level of detail that you need at that level of the journey yeah so we we work with um a, a network of specialty uh, hand roasting partners so the ones we're working with at the moment as you can imagine being a smaller business are reasonably local to us but our ambition is to build a network across the uk because it's quite simple there's there's about 430 independent roasters in the uk it's really flourished you know lots of people have just down their tools and gone do you know what i want to roast coffee for a living and they turn up every day at their roaster and they create beautiful coffee but many of them are only roasting one two three days a week so there's capacity in the roast in the independent roasting system 
for us to support them and bring in additional kind of uh, volume. Uh, and they don't need to worry about the sales arrangements. They don't need to worry about the training. They don't need to worry necessarily about the packaging, particularly because we deliver all of that. So we work it very much in partnership with our roasters. Now, I, I know how to roast. I've, I've, I've been out to uh, Annecy with the SCA roasting camp and uh, at a very basic level, I really understand the roasting and the process that goes into it. As much as I need to, to be able to talk to clients about why a coffee might be working for them or not and to really have that partnership uh, relationship with our roasters. But they, they're the ones that show up every morning because they're the ones that are just absolutely obsessed with the roasting part. So what, what we do is we want to find those roasters who, who have that obsession with working with great coffees and getting the absolute best out of the, the coffees they're working with. And then we can present them on to, to our clients. Yeah. I thought it was genius when I was researching in the last couple of days and saw that, you know, 430 roasters. And what a great idea it is to use that existing network and 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 if you decide or can you know given the opportunity to expand nationally brilliant to be able to tap into that rather than roasting it all in you know in Limington and then trying to ship it across the country brilliant to be able to just you know connect the dots almost isn't it and work with those yeah. roasters support the local community the local kind of employment um so yeah I thought it was a really good idea and the fact there is already that existing spare capacity environmentally it must be better to use existing capacity sure. than it is to add yeah. to it i suppose so, yeah. yeah i mean I've, we've had some i've had a couple of comments of people saying uh, you're just a middleman that that simply isn't the case you know we're, we're not um just just flogging someone else's is coffee what we're doing is genuinely working in partnership with our roasters so we 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 we're there at the cupping tables with our roasters, working with them. Uh, my job is to is quite different to that of the roasters as part of the kind of the overall service we provide. So I sit down with the client and really understand their business, what they're looking for operationally. How is this coffee going to work in their workspace, whether it's hospitality or an office environment? Do you run lots of meetings? Yes, we do run lots of meetings. Well, probably a beans cup machine is not going to be right for you. Have you considered filter? I hate filter coffee. We all hate filter coffee until we try a good filter coffee. Um, and then we, we so I can take clients on this journey and I can say, look, filter, single origin coffees work really well. What's your, what sort of wines do you like? And we'll talk about that. And then we'll I'll establish what, what they're after. And then I'll go back to the roaster and I'll say, right, what I believe they want is this. And we'll, we'll engineer, we'll create something, we'll, we'll pull something together. And all our all our roasters do different things really well. Um, and we, we we I went to see a client and I, I kind of got it a bit wrong. I, I took them um, a quite a light, uh, fragrant uh, samples of of coffee, and what they wanted was something a lot more deep, a lot more uh, punchy. They wanted a higher roast level. So I'm able to just 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 swap out roasters there and go and talk to another one who I know does that really well. Because you can't just ask one roaster to do something that it's like art. They you know you can't ask an artist I want to copy this guy. Um, and I see the roasters very much like that as artists with coffee. It's not simply a case of dropping coffee into a, a hot oven, uh, switch it on, then switch it off. They're, they're, it's a very meticulous process they follow. They have a, there's a drop temperature that they introduce the green beans into the drum. Then they watch the rate of rise of that coffee and denser beans will take longer to increase in temperature. There's, um, there's more weight in, the, in, the, in, the, in, in there. Um, and they'll watch the rate of rise as it comes up and they'll be looking at the colour, the temperature, the smell, the sounds, and then they will drop the coffee at the perfect time to bring out the, um, the, 
the, the, the, the tastes they're looking for that they believe are present in that particular coffee. So it, I, I, I don't roast. I get really excited by it. I love being in the roasters with the roasters. Um, but simply if I'm there worrying about if people are showing up to work to uh, fire up the roaster in the morning and whether my green beans have arrived in on time, it, it just, I can't, I can't do the bit that I'm good at. Uh, so it's very much a partnership arrangement where we all pull together to bring the kind of expertise around our clients. Yeah, no, I think it's great. I'm smiling because I've been in roasting as well. Heather, I think you know, don't yeah, you, yeah, Bad yeah. Hand. Bad so, Hand, we work with them, yeah. Yeah, great. And and uh, you're right, the you know the level of love and attention that Heather will give and the different recipes that she follows with different beans and different blends. You I think you've tried talking to Heather when she's roasting. You won't, yeah. you won't, yeah, you <laughs> you won't get much back. Yeah, and isn't it amazing, again, that people just wouldn't appreciate that level of detail because we get you so used to this mass produced kind of like you know stuff wouldn't even know you know how it's being roasted but the fact it will be roasted on scale and it will just be following a, a formulaic approach i suppose but heather will literally like you say drop it at exactly the right second that that particular bean is is perfect so yeah, yeah. it's exciting what they can do and how they can change the flavors by extending that length of roast or like you say the kind of the the, the temperature that it starts with how quickly they're cooling it down it's just brilliant how, how many nuances there are I yeah suppose. yeah and so i mean the, 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 i mean the flip side of of what we're talking about the romance of kind of hand roasting is uh is the more factory scale roasting which is where coffee stored in silos it's blended prior to being roasted so those three beans we were talking about earlier they come into the roaster together so what what you end up with if you look at the coffee you can see all the different kind of colors of coffee uh, so some will be the more dense beans will be underdeveloped the the lighter beans will be overdeveloped and you end up with a mishmash of flavor. it's like cooking meat you know if you were cooking pieces of meat and you had some tiny pieces of meat and some big pieces of meat in a pan together you're going to have a very strange kind of looking dish so coffee is much the same so they will uh we we, we roast single even in the blends that we create we, we roast the single origins uh individually and then we blend after the roast process so each of the single origins is is, is showing what, what 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 its potential um and, th and then we cool by air and, and again with the speed the speed at which the large factory roasters need to work they're often cooled by water so they spray water on which has um sometimes the added benefit of adding a bit of weight as well to the to the beans um and then they're packed to plastic uh, and then distributed uh, and we because we're roasting by hand we also pack by hand and we pack to compostable bags so that we're just not creating problems or ideally uh, returnable containers and where we can use returnable containers is, is better obviously yeah. yeah and bad had even delivered them on a bike in your returnable containers they, they, they is, do yeah to some of our clients yeah so what I like about this journey and why I wanted to come and chat to you apart from just the coffee knowledge is that there's new markets opening up for this because that's so much love, so much care, so much going into it. You know, people will pay a little bit more and it's not even a lot, you know, but in a speciality coffee shop, they might pay an extra 60 pence for their cup of coffee or something like that. But you've gone out and, and kind of found a new market or a different market for this, I suppose. Am I right in saying that when you first did this, you started in the hospitality market, but learned quite quickly that that wasn't the right market for you? Is that true? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah, sort of. We we Our first client was my former employer which is colton care um and my wife started supplying them with uh with specialty grade coffee they've got beans cut machines across the uh 21 care homes so we, she was running that and, and i was i had my day job so i was nothing to do with the business but 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 obviously i had 
I had this ambition to get involved with coffee. And in fact, I started to build a business. Uh, the, the, the Midnight Blue, I'd, I'd, I'd incorporated the company back in 2011 and started to take it forward and then and then paused it. So she kind of picked that up and in a completely different direction and said, I think it's an opportunity to supply businesses with, uh, with high quality coffee, not Jamaica Blue Mountain, but uh, good quality specialty coffee. So she started doing that and was uh, the coffee was being roasted for us. She was running around delivering it and it was working well. We just saw, uh, we saw uh, the, the volume of coffee being bought was, was, was increasing week on week. And as people suddenly recognised, do you know what? We don't need to go and get a cup of coffee from the uh, coffee shop on our way to go and see mum or dad at the care home because they've got some great coffee in there. So um, it, it kind of started to wake us up to this idea that, do you know what, good coffee could work well in businesses. And I didn't understand everything that I understand now around the nuance of the specialty sector, but I just knew that good coffee was going to, could be good for business. So I looked at how we could scale this because clearly my wife driving around dropping coffee off wasn't a scalable model and I certainly wasn't going to be able to quit my day job to, 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 to do this. So I, 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 I was walking in London and I had this epiphany when I suddenly realised how we could do this, how we could make it work for us and how we could grow, grow the business going forward. And then we, um, yeah, my ambitions were to develop in the hospitality sector because the volumes are big. I like eating and drinking. I like wine. There's huge wine lists in hospitality. And I figured, do you know what? These guys are going to love this. They, they just haven't been told the story around coffee and it just fits perfectly with um, a sort of, you know, um, ethical and authentic food provenance, wine provenance. So let's go for go for coffee. And I just, I was met with blank faces everywhere I went. So I went and spoke to some really quite sort of prestigious uh, hotel groups and said, I've got this great idea, guys. Uh, what I'm, what I'm going to present is a... Um, is a is, is a a bespoke morning coffee that's going to be light and floral, and it's going to have a, a beautiful acidity, and people are going to come down in their dressing gowns, and they're going to enjoy this coffee, and then after dinner, we'll serve a, a deep, dark kind of you know rich coffee that just perfectly ends their their meal. And they just said, we don't get this at all. Oh, and it's going to cost us more money. No, 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 we're definitely not interested. And so I kind of learned that. The hospitality sector is 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 highly highly margin driven, and it needs to be. You know, people are um, people aren't raking it in in the hospitality sector. It's it's a challenging environment in which to work, but the coffee margins are a bit obscene. You know, when I look at what people are charging for a cup of coffee, and I know what they're paying for that coffee, the person who's there's two people that are losing out here. One the, is the drinker, the coffee drinker, who's just 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 um, paying way too much for a poor quality cup of coffee, and the farmer who's supplying that coffee. So so can't we can't we move into specialty coffee where the farmer gets a good deal? It's it's gonna it's it's gonna um, it's gonna well there's a choice there. Either the hospitality operator takes a bit of hit on their margin, or we push that increased cost onto the customer, and that's probably where we need to go. If people understand a bit more about good coffee, then they're probably willing to pay a little bit more because. The difference between, if you look at a kilo of coffee, you're going to get about 60 espressos out of that. So when you divide the additional cost of uh, specialty coffee, uh, a kilo of specialty coffee over commodity coffee, it really only works out as pence per serving. So it, it, it can work. It, it really can work. And um, I found it frustrating. But what I did was I just pivoted and said, do you know what? I think there's probably quite a lot of firms out here who are going to be driven by, well, in my corporate experience, everybody's trying to improve their client experience in their in their business, and they'll talk about it on their website, and they say, you know, we we want our clients to have the best experience, whatever that business might be, um, and they want to improve improve the environment for their employees, 
Uh, we've got a great working environment. We, we, we focus on our employees and making this a great place to work. Um, and they're wanting to improve their sustainable and ethical credentials. Well, sustainable coffee, just uh, I'm sorry, specialty grade coffee, ticks all three boxes straight away. So um, we started talking to firms um, and we worked out what our uh, formula was. It was really, we're looking for firms that are, are values driven. Um, so they are clearly demonstrating that, that, that values are important to them. And they've got reasonably high value clients because if they've got high value clients, then they're interested in creating a better experience for prospects and, and, and retention of clients. So that's what kind of binds some of our slightly eclectic clients together, you know, from care homes to, um, you know, car dealerships to, um, to, to, to law firms. Those all follow a similar model. They're often values driven. They're, they're, they're looking to create a great client experience and they are looking to improve their sustainability credentials. Because the great thing is if we're buying a specialty coffee for a particular client, we can identify it right back to origin. And like I said earlier, we're, we're kind of a white label business. So this isn't about, are oh, we stock a marmous coffee? It's about, we are X firm. We care about the client experience and we have therefore sourced a coffee with our partner from um, Montebonito, uh, a, a small farm in Colombia, and we believe it's great. Let's know what you think. You know, let's start that dialogue around coffee. Let's enjoy coffee and talk to people about it. And then it, we figure that customers are going to say, "Do you know what? If this firm puts in this much thought into the coffee they're serving us, they're probably the rest of their services are going to be pretty good quality too." Yeah, hundred percent. And it's interesting, you know, yeah, how. In many ways, what a relief it is. God, I think about the number of meetings that I would get invited to and I would deliberately have to make sure that I took my own coffee or kind of turned up with one because you could pretty much guarantee if I was <laughs> yeah. going to see my accountant or my solicitor uh, or you know whoever it was, that the coffee would be shit. You know? yeah. and, and you'd turn up with your own. But it is changing. I was in the Land Rover garage a couple of days ago just getting my car serviced. And uh, they've literally built a coffee shop. A barista, in the yeah. Yeah, in the yeah, garage. And yeah, a proper, yeah. yeah, proper barista machine. And you could sit there and you could have a decent coffee while your car was getting serviced. And you think... Yeah, you know, I, I just purely on a selfish level, it was exciting. But you're right. If you can encourage them to go to the speciality coffee, just, you know, to move up a level. So the benefits, the farmer and the ethos and the ethics and everything else behind the scenes. And the story um, that can be told, you know, through point of sale. We, we distribute um, to our clients tasting cards. And the tasting cards uh, sit, you know, sit in a meeting room and they explain where this coffee's come from and what people should find in the cup. Because whether someone really likes that coffee or not, it's interesting to see this is what I should be tasting. Do I taste it? Then the whole thing becomes a lot more experiential, a lot more interesting. So, yeah, um, nice. yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you feel that where you've sort of learned that on hospitality um, quite early on, and I defend the hospitality industry slightly, I suppose, in the fact that we actually do only sell speciality coffee, but I don't think people always appreciate when you look at the margins in, in coffee, um, the margin is great. But actually, you're still talking about maybe two pound sixty, two pound eighty, or whatever for a for, for a cup of something that you sit there and the customer sits there for you know nearly an hour with their mate, and you've got to serve that coffee, the barista that's made it, the KP who's washing up the cup, the Wi-Fi. a chef waiting just in case. Yeah, uh, you happen to order some breakfast. Yeah, the, the you know the Wi-Fi, the sugar, the napkins, the actual business rates and the rent and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it is incredibly hard, even at a, you know GP eighty to ninety percent you know margin on a cup of coffee, you've still got to sell you know hundreds of cups of coffee a day to actually to be able to cover all of those costs no, no, but I, you're right I, I the argument that. isn't about uh therefore selling rubbish coffee or good coffee you still go to speciality coffee but coffee is cheap even to the consumer if you're spending two pound 80 on a cup of coffee yet you've got behind that a guy 
you know, in Ethiopia, he was picking those beans by hand and then the cupping guy and then the transport and, and then the roaster and all of those hands, like you say, every, every single one of those beans has been touched by a human being at some point. We still have this issue that food and drink is, is too cheap, I suppose, in this country. And, and you've just hit exactly upon it. it, it this is... We have this kind of um, price ceiling on coffee of about three quid, you know, unless you're in perhaps a hotel environment or somewhere a bit, a bit different. But, but people aren't really prepared to pay more than three quid for a cup. They will pay £2.50 for a horrendous cup of coffee and they'll pay £2.50 for a specialty cup of coffee. And we've just got this kind of... We're in this, we're in this difficult situation where people aren't prepared to pay more. But, but I think it's just an educational thing. People don't understand what, what, what they should be looking for in a good cup of yeah. coffee. And I, I just... We, we got we got to get better at, at, at coffee, and, and, we, and we, are. we are. There's there's no doubt. Um, you've got two drivers. I think one is that we're becoming uh, in in everything that we're doing. We're becoming more interested in the provenance and the ethics of what we're what, what the provenance of what we're uh, what we're eating and drinking. But but you know, look at dispatches last night. This is not going away. The ethical um, background to coffee is not going away. It's sneaking more and more into national media, and I think we're going to be at a point in the future where it's going to be a bit shameful if you are if you consider yourself a values led business yet you're buying commodity grade coffee uh, that's where that that's where we're headed i'm convinced of that so what we're trying to do is 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 not shame businesses but we're just trying to encourage them to say look this is the trajectory this is this is the direction of travel for coffee hop on board we can help you get there yeah. you know um, we make this really easy for you yeah so it's relatively early days how long have you been running did you say well, the business was incorporated in 2011. We've been trading for about uh, four years now, and I've been full-time involved since April. So <laughs> only okay, a year, so yeah. yeah. It's, still, it's still really early days. and I've never had such a steep learning yeah, I was going to say, do you still life. feel like you're in the kind of market research side of the business, you know, who, working out who is the client and who isn't the client? A hundred percent, yeah. Every day I go and I, I learn something, and I go, do you know what? I didn't see that coming, and, um, we, you know, uh, and we, learn, we learn from it. So whether it's getting our first lease arrangement away with clients, whether it's doing, our, you know, our, our, our first new beans cut machine um whether it's uh understanding more about water filtration i'm a i'm i'm a massive um generalist i have to be because i'm going into businesses and i'm making recommendations for them and it could be beans cut machines it could be filter machines it could be manual group espresso machines and and i and I understand all of those aspects. And that's why we are so well positioned to build bespoke packages around a client. It's not just about the coffee. Because if it was, all, I had this romantic idea that it was all going to be about the coffee. And I'd be, you know, shipping beautiful bags of coffee to people. But the truth is, it nearly always starts with the machine. And you've got to understand machines. And that was a big, a big kind of learning curve for me. But I studied product design back in the day. And, uh, um, my, my my design my final year design project it won't surprise you was a a coffee machine <laughs> but i'm interested in how things work and you, you you go down another rabbit hole which we're talking about coffees and and, and the sourcing and, and and the growing aspects of it when you start taking a dive into extraction and uh tds and and and, and how a machine gets the best out of a coffee it becomes Really, really boring, I think, for a lot of clients, but, but but also really interesting. And we need to understand that because when someone's saying to me, uh, we we need a beans cut machine or I'm recommending a beans cut machine, and they're saying, but I think they're horrible, aren't they? We need to be able to go back and provide that um, information about what, what what compromises they're looking at versus the other options that are available. So yeah, you're right. And, and 
great that there's some obsessive crazy enough to really understand those nuances. And as a matter of interest then, so as a bit of a coffee snob, I suppose, I would go if you're going to get a speciality coffee, get a nice, you know, get a good barista and a decent coffee machine. Uh, what compromises are there? If you go bean to cup and you literally press a button and get a cup of coffee, what, what is the compromise? Well, I mean, start off with a lot of the beans cup machines that are out there in circulation have got powdered milk and that, that, that's, that's not going to create a great uh, milk experience. Um, but that's done for operational simplicity. The, the beans cut machines are, are better than most people think. Uh, we, I did an experiment recently. I went up to one of our roasters. I took one of our smaller beans cut machines. We sat it. It's a two and a half thousand quid machine, uh, ready to go. Um, and we sat it alongside 10,000 quids worth of barista kit. So a really good Fahima um, uh, group espresso machine, a really good grinder, and a highly trained barista. And we did the flat white challenge and we pulled together, both pulled a flat white. Mine involved pressing a button and his involved a lot of running around. Um, and his was his was better. So here was the difference. There was, there was a, a greater depth of flavor in the cup. It was a, it was a darker color, the actual uh, coffee. Um, the, the, the integration of the milk uh, was, was, was better. So it was a more kind of consistent drink uh, throughout. But you know what? For most people, a beans cut machine really is a kind of a good a good option because they 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 with a and with a specialty coffee in there, they do create a better coffee than um, using poor quality beans. It doesn't follow that just because we've got a beans cut machine, we should, we we need to have, we we can have poor quality beans. It does make a big difference. Yeah, fascinating, really. And and. No, it's, I mean, I suppose as an operator, you kind of think, great, you know, if I can get a bean to cut machine and uh, and I don't have to employ a human being and it's nearly as good, then that will improve margin and makes it makes it better. But then the romance of me hearing that, you know, the the, the, the kind of tapping of the uh, the group handle and seeing the barista and all that they do for sure, and you lose um, all of that. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah I'll give you a practical slightly, example but... around that. So we 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 took on board a client, and the, uh, the, the the there was a romantic idea that 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 in this uh, care home group we would bring through that we would we would be installing. Uh, barista machines and this was being driven by the um, by the CEO he wanted barista machines in there but the truth is after five trips up to this particular care home where we put the barista machine in and, and they were still struggling with extraction because multiple people were using the machine they've now flipped back to the beans cup option and it, you, you lose the romance but a consistently good coffee is much better than a occasionally brilliant but generally awful cup of coffee which is often what you find with manual group machines training is so important with those machines I, I've got one in my kit here and I love it but my goodness me it's hard to kind of really get the coffee singing I have to uh, if I because I'm changing coffees all the time in that in that hopper I, I'm, I'm I'm running so much coffee through there to get it perfect but but I'll do that because I, I can but as an operator it's yeah. it's hard work unless you're engaged your team is engaged with coffee extraction grinding cleaning beans cups are a good yeah. option yeah. or filter yeah. yeah no 100% I I at home I I you know obviously at work I've got you know eight grand ten grand coffee machines baristas you know I'm, I'm spoiled for delicious coffee and I thought right I'm gonna buy one for home and I bought one of those 150 quid jobbies and it was shit I've know? got there's what if, through the window there there's yeah. there's my old outgoing uh machine that, yeah. that it just it create that created an awful cup of coffee and I, I, that was that was about 300 quid I think yeah. and, and now I've got, what I've got is about 1800 quid and yeah. that, you, you, you kind of got to be there yeah to it's funny isn't it? well now at home I use a cafetiere you know I've, yeah, I've got a sure. grind fresh that's the key a yeah, grind absolutely. fresh coffee make a cafetiere and uh, and that's what I'll have if I'm at home and I gave up on trying to replicate what I've got at work but it's interesting but that led leads me actually to the other thing is that you, you 
it makes me cry a little bit. And I, and I have the same conversation with my uh, team at work sometimes with, um, with something, something really simple like a beef burger. And you just look at the bun of the burger and you kind of, I say to my team, I'm so look, look, behind that bun is a baker. And the compromise that baker makes is that he's never taken his children to school because he's up at three o'clock every day and he's in his bakery and he's making that bread. And, and you guys see it as just a beef burger and you burn the bun or something. The chef burns the bun because he's turned his back and he, and he chucks it in the bin or I don't know, the floor, remember the floor stuff might, you know, accidentally knock the top of the burger off and stuff. like that. So there's a lot of love and a lot of compromise. And that poor guy's, you know, kids who maybe want daddy to take them to school, you know, once, once a month at least cannot do it. And it's the same in coffee. All of that love, all of that effort, all of that hand picking, and, and all of that work that's gone into it, and then it's it's over extracted, or it's served in a dirty cup, or the cup's got a chip in it, or the teaspoon's manky, or they spill it on the way to the table and don't kind of take it back and change it. And you're like, some you know numerous human beings have put that amount of effort to get that bean to you, and in the last twelve seconds of its journey, you know around the globe, you screw it up, which is depressing. So how do you get over the the, the training side, that last bit? How important is it that you've gone all that work? You've met these people you've done it and and yeah yeah right at the last second i suppose being to cup solves that in a lot of ways but have you had examples and frustrations where you've kind of almost gone i'm not going to send you my coffee anymore because you're destroying it wow um uh, we're too we're a bit small at the moment to be able to make those big kind of uh or have you gone around a drink and gone, uh, man, i can't believe you just served me that <laughs> Well, the beans cup machines that they require base. I mean, I'm installing. I'm going up to to, to put to install one this afternoon, and uh, the training will take about an hour to go through that. But it's all screen driven, so you can't really get it get it wrong. Keep it, keep it's, it it's the it's the barista piece that's really hard. Filter is difficult as well. People, are, I'll often go up and say, "Okay, do you know what? You've convinced me on filter. Uh, we're going to go for the filter thing, but we want it pre ground." And you're like, "Do you know what? We've got this far. Can't we yeah, just yeah. can't we just get you over the line and say?" <laughs> And you sort of see them eyeing you, thinking you're just trying to make more money out of selling me a grinder. It's like, I'm not at all. I'm not. Um, but it will improve the experience again, take it to that that next level. So, um, and then if they've got grinders there, it does take a bit of bedding in, and we will keep going up. We'll keep talking to them uh, if they're struggling with uh, with with the grinder or, or how the filter works. Then um, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll keep supporting them. But d- it, it, it's not that difficult. I think the real complexity comes with 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 the manual group espresso machines. Yeah. I think the other two, beans cups and filters, which are really the kind of only three methods. I love home brewing. I love V60s. We we did a project a while back with a with a prestigious hotel where we were using our, our midnight blue coffee um, as a table side serve. So. Um, you you have a choice between the, uh, the 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 normal coffee, or you could upgrade to a ten pound coffee at the end of your meal. In the same way, you might upgrade the you know go for a port or a cheese board, and the guys would roll out to your table and they would grind by hand at beside your table. They'd use a Chemex and they would have pre uh, pre kind of warmed water, and it would all be extracted right by you at the table. It was a, it was a, a beautiful way to kind of you Theater. know showcase coffee, yeah. Mm. Um, and uh, that ran for a while, but 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 that but that finished up. But I, th- I think it may rise from the ashes soon. So watch this space. Yeah. Um, uh, other people are interested in that in in that concept, and and I suppose that that fits together because that flicks the switches in hospitality perhaps a little bit more than um, than just buying a specialty espresso blend because there's that theatre associated with it and incremental margin. So. That's what we're trying to do is just be, and this is what goes back to this learning curve we're on at the moment, that, you know what, if, if we can bring perhaps more drama and theatre through coffee, then that's the route into hospitality, if that's the route mm. we want to we go. So yeah, there's different ways of doing it. Although I really things. like the fact that you are 
you know, the thought of goodbye was again we were saying earlier before we started, but you know, our our generation is gonna demand those kind of things from its care home, isn't it? You're not gonna want an instant coffee in a, no. in, a in a crappy cup. Um and you know, even even you know, my parents now would have that expectation. So I'm predominantly just excited that the more good coffee there is around places where you don't expect it, you know, the better it is, like you say, to visit people in those places or even end up in them yourself. So I'm really pleased that you've found a niche and a, and are providing good coffee where we wouldn't necessarily expect it. Um coffee though is phenomenally you know competitive industry um going back to midnight blue a little bit i suppose how did that go because you've got this clear aspiration of of wanting to give people what fundamentally is an amazing experience and to and to taste what you tasted all those years ago that inspired in some ways this journey that you're going on yeah but it's a really premium product are we there yet where people actually get because because how much were you selling that for do people get it, and and how's that bit of the business gone? Yeah, um, not so well. Not, <laughs> not so well. It was um, okay. So to answer some of these questions in turn, are people ready for it? I think so. I, I think they. I think people are ready for it. But as is the challenge with a direct to consumer business, how do you connect with those people who are ready for it, who are interested, and who have got the you know can afford to buy it because. It was 80 quid for 250 grams, you know, so it was it was a massive jump from anything that people were historically uh, paying. But when you factor in the cost, we, you know, what we were buying the beans for, the cost of the packaging, uh, the cost we were paying to kind of roast it very carefully, the cost of the marketing activities to connect with the people who might be interested in that, it was just too much of a struggle. Um, and the reality is, and this comes back to kind of, I suppose, outside of coffee, just the entrepreneur piece. One of the big things I've learned this year is we try to do too much. I'm full of ambition and enthusiasm, but there's, a, you know, there's only uh, there's only one of me, and I've got a fabulous team supporting me, but these types of initiatives need me so so were we to make that brand and we are gonna it's on hold not or not um it's not gone away um we're gonna make it happen but th the truth is you can't launch two businesses at the same time using shareholder funds and i'm not interested in investments at this stage you know i've got we, i got some investment um from from my, my business partner but we uh, we're not interested in 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 taking on board uh, venture capital funding. We want the freedom to do things the way we want to do them. So what we did was we we put it on hold and when uh, and focused more on the Amama side of the business because that in time will generate cash and then we can choose to start to move some of that cash back into launching uh, Midnight Blue. But yeah, it was. It was hard work. To be successful, it needed me to be out there pounding the streets, talking to hotels about the opportunity, to be running events, to allow people to try the coffee, to kind of have that experience. It needed a lot of creativity and a lot of effort, which I would love to have put in. But the truth is, is it was still more of a gamble than perhaps the Amama side of the business. Than, and uh, someone's got to gotta kind of pay the mortgage and look after the family. So uh, Amamas is the priority for the time being and we'll come back to Midnight Blue. Yeah. Great learning, as you say. And it was the same, we again chatted earlier, Jennifer from uh, Canton Tea and, and the kind of, you know, hundreds of pounds, uh, if not thousands of pounds per kilo of some of the best teas in the world. But that couldn't be her market, though there's an appreciation and that was the trigger and that's where the love and the understanding of where tea comes from and maybe the ultimate dream would to be in that market. Yeah, you've got to pay the bills. And uh, yeah, that's the uh, the way it is, I guess. Yeah. Um, so um, that kind of focuses a little bit on the uh, on the business side, I suppose, 
with all of that love and all of that romance and all of that kind of stuff going on, at the end of the day, this has got to be a business. And rather than a lot of startups where it's just, you know, one man band and, and, and you're out there, you did actually start with a with a proper structure. You've got uh, an FD and a chairman. Can you just talk a little bit about the fact that you're not just doing this on your own, I suppose? And what was the motivation in that? Was that because you'd had a career before this? Because a lot of people end up in hospitality because, you know, almost by accident, it's a little mm. pop-up. You know, they mm -hmm. buy a little street food wagon or they're down at the market and, and they start... What do you think you learn in your career that meant you approach this with a little bit more strategy? Uh, my career was built in the marketing agencies in London, and what what I enjoyed in, in in that industry was the collaboration. It was working with great teams. So, for example, we would be working for big clients, um, uh, wine clients. I was working with um, mainly in the booze sector, um, and. I was the account person, so I would I would look after the clients and really understand what it was they wanted to achieve. And then we'd have a strategy team who would put together the strategy, and then we'd have a, have a creative team who would put together the creative ideas. And then I'd gather all those together and I'd go and present them back into the uh, the clients. So so what I, I wasn't a good drawer uh, and I and I wasn't desperately good at strategy. So I needed a great team of people around me, and that that was I've always understood that. Um, I know what my strengths are, and I, but, but, but more importantly, I know what my weaknesses are. And I needed the right team of people to make uh, a business successful. I, I didn't want to just run this by myself, and nor could I. So I, I, I recruited in people with very specific um, talents. And, and John, who's our chairman, used to be my client many years ago. Then when we sold our marketing agency, he did, uh, I did some marketing consultancy, and uh, he collaborated with me on a consultancy project. Um, and uh, we've got on really well. And he said, look, if you, if you want any support in the future, I'd love to get involved. And he's, he's really good at the detail. He's really good at, he's like a steady hand on the tiller uh, with our business. And so I can go running around being as creative as I can. And, and he'll just kind of keep us on the, on the straight and narrow a bit more. And I speak to him like every single day. We all work remotely. So um, he's based down in Horsham. Our general manager, Susie, he's a superb administrator. She came through my brother-in-law who said, um, I know this mate, I said I need someone who's brilliant at administration. We, we, we need someone who really can get a every single kilo of coffee from A to B, uh, and we, you know, there's never a problem. And he goes, I know this girl who's amazing. She was had a board-level uh, HR role. She went and had kids uh, and then came back and is in uh, a job that she's not particularly enjoying. So we got her involved, and it's amazing because she works from home. We talk on Skype most days, but she's got that flexibility to build work in with her own personal life. So she joined us and um, she and my wife typically look after the operations and uh, sort of managing existing clients. I focus on sales and coming up with new creative ideas and coffee for, for, for clients. And then John and I collaborate on that. And then we've got David, who's uh, our sort of part-time finance director, who's, who's, who's been CFO for quite a few big, big firms. And um, he brings real structure to the management accounts because... If, if you don't, if you haven't got a clear structure to your business, then um, it, it, and a clear path and where you're going, it's, it's unlikely to be successful. And if I was by myself, I wouldn't have made it to the, you know, to where we are, where we are now. So um, it's 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 been fun. We our plan is to, uh, to to grow going forward. We probably need to build in the sales support for me because I'm doing a lot of the sort of the meeting the clients, the specification. Uh, sort of, I suppose it's it's a grand term, but sort of consultancy. So talking to them about trying to understand what they need and then making recommendations. And then uh, looking after installations where I can, if it's a complex machine, if it's if it's barista machines, I will use um, our supply partners to do that. So. 
Our plan is to grow, mm. um, but our plan is really not probably to have an office space. You know, I yep. think the, the you know the future for for businesses like ours is is the remote operations. I think there's a, a real talented workforce in in perhaps females who've returned to work after kids and they want to come back to work. They they want to be part of something exciting and special, but they don't necessarily want to commute to work every single mm. day. And we can give people that flexibility, yeah. but it relies on recruiting well. You need the right mindset that people uh, are able to work mm. uh, remotely, but. Yeah, no, brilliant. And um, you get such loyalty, I think, as well, then, because if you create an opportunity that they can build around their lives and kids and stuff like that, then, then God, you know, there's some dull jobs out there they could be doing. I think they're so excited and grateful to find something with a genuine kind of opportunity. So, yeah. uh, but that structure's brilliant. I think you do learn that. And, and I look at how I would do my business differently now if I was starting again and just what I've learned. And I think you're right. Everybody's got a sweet spot. Everybody's got a little niche they know. And I'm so grateful that somebody out there likes reading legal documents and because <laughs> yeah. god every yeah. time you know and my fd who just gets buried in numbers and i'm like i'm so grateful that people like you are on planet earth because yeah. it bores the ass out of me yeah it's so important and you yeah. need it so yeah. and i think the important thing is we're all aligned around this kind of higher purpose which again sounds a bit grand but we we really do all understand even in the the, the day-to-day of what we're trying to achieve you know we, we, it's really simple it's better coffee for better business and, and that sounds a bit trite but it but it really is what we're about you know better business means better business for the farmers on the ground in in in, in the coffee lands yeah. as well as better business for our clients and so every every day we're all we're all driven around that same purpose how can we create better experiences through coffee and a, and, a, and, a, and a better kind of world you know in which mm-hmm. we're which we're operating and because we're a new business we, we've got the freedom to, to do things the way that we think are, are, are right. And that for sure, everybody, all of us are all motivated by that same concept. And it also helps make decisions. So for example, we're looking for other partners to bring on board because clients are saying to us, you know, do you do tea? And we're like, no, I don't really know much about tea. I know a bit more after listening to the Canton, uh, your, your episode there. But um, so, so we, we're looking for, and by having that kind of higher purpose means that the first question we ask is, are, are you ethical and sustainable in terms of how you go about doing your business? And they say, yes, right, let's try some of your uh, your products. And the same, there's a we're looking at biscotti, biscuits, you know, because so often we just see single um, plastic packaged biscuits in meeting rooms, you know, that are, that, that are just generic and, and horrible looking so why can't we take something a bit more authentic and handmade so we're just talking to a local supplier here actually which hopefully we'll be announcing shortly but my first question was to him was it looks like all your p- products are packaged in plastic and he said they are but we're just changing over to compostable packaging so i said good because we couldn't work with you unless that were to be the case so, so it provides a very clear focus for what we're doing going forward, you know, outside of coffee as well to yeah. build the business. Yeah, it's funny. Isn't it? I was at a trade show a couple of weeks ago and uh, it was a meat supplier butcher came up to me and he's like, oh, you know, you know, you know, I run restaurants. Do you need a, uh, do you need a meat supplier? And there's pictures of all these beautiful cows behind and all this kind of stuff. And it was towards the end of the show. I don't need a, a new meat supplier. I've got a good one. But um, I just looked at his stand and it all looked lovely with the little sort of, you know, dandelions and stuff like that. And uh, I said, what do your cows eat? And he's like, what? I said, what, what do your cows eat? So if you want to be my butcher, what do your cows eat? And he said, I've been doing this 10 years. Nobody's ever asked me what my cows eat. And I was like, really? I said, I find that a little bit depressing because you're only going to get great steak and great cows if your cows the, the eat grass yeah, you know, sure. and they're out in the field. I said, if, if your cows are you know, reared in a barn and fed grain and antibiotics and all that kind of stuff. And, and he just looked at me like I was bonkers. And he said, do you want a price list? And I said, no, I don't want a price list. I said, I'm not interested in what your price is until I know 
what your cows eat. Yeah, for and sure. And then we'll look at prices. And it's nice to, yeah, to be in an industry long enough, I suppose, where it's the same with you, isn't it? You know, ethos and ethics start there before we even start talking about the details of pricing and whether we want to supply you and stuff like that. Yeah, are you a value-driven business? And, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's interesting. And I think the other thing that's, that's sort of come up in this it's the same in the UK. You talked about some of the coffee suppliers more than making stuff below cost. And actually, it's the same in the British farming community. There's a lot of stuff which is produced and sold, you know, sub-cost. Look at milk, you know, at, at its lowest level. And the pressure that therefore is put on farmers to produce. But in the same way as you've got speciality coffee, you've got kind of speciality milk. You've got speciality meat providers. So chatting to the New Forest Mark and others about this, you know, getting back to how should animals be reared and actually the price difference isn't massive in a similar way to coffee you know what you need to if, if a farmer can know the end price of what they're going to be selling rather than just market price they can put a lot more love and a lot more effort into looking after and caring that for that animal and, and looking at what it's fed and and feeding it a kind of premium kind of grasses whatever it's for its whole life um and and it is just about almost yeah getting back to that speciality it's not about having meat every day it's about having meat two or three times a week and eating better Do you know what, and it's the same with coffee it's yeah, kind of like don't yeah. have 10 cups of coffee a day and drink crap have two or three but pay an extra 50p yeah uh, the revelation for me was when jamie oliver did his piece around you know the sort of battery chicken farming it was, yeah, yeah that, that was that was a real eye-opener for me but exactly just drink less and just be a bit more um considerate about what you're buying and the impact that where you're spending your money what, what impact that has down yeah, the track exactly yeah and there's a reason this is called the humans of hospitality you know not the brands of hospitality it's because as you alluded to it's all about Fundamentally, I think humans want to look after other humans and it doesn't matter whether they're our neighbour or whether they're the other side of the world growing our coffee. You know, we do want that guilt-free uh, opportunity. But more than that, you know, if we can create opportunities for their education and to live a better life. We're, we're on planet Earth for such a blink of an eye, aren't we? The, yeah. more, the better life we can all lead, the better. So um, drawing to a close, just, uh, I suppose... You know, with this being a, I don't know, maybe second or, th or third career, we haven't gone into too much detail of what you did before, but anything in particular you've learned that's that's gone uh, really, really well and you think there is a nugget of wisdom or, or anything almost that you've unlearned where you go, man, I wish I'd learned that quicker that, that's gone really badly? Um, well, my dad was always an entrepreneur. He, he, he always ran his own businesses for, as for pretty much as long as I can remember and and, and, and so, did, so did my mum. So I'd always wanted to run my own business, but he, he always said to me, it takes longer and it costs more money. And I thought, yeah, 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 it's fine. I'm going to crack on with this and it's going to be fine. It took longer and it cost a whole lot more money. And, um, you know, we, we, we were able to raise money ourselves. Um, but, wow, it, I, I hadn't realised. Everything just, particularly in that, we, we, we are... The way we set up is not to run on a shoestring and not to wing things and do things by the seat of our pants. That was, and particularly because we're working with an awful lot of law firms and professional services firms. We we wanted to do things well, and doing things well costs money. So in terms of uh, legal advice, you know, the, 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 everything, the professional advice that we've had has been been great, but it comes at a cost, and it's um, so. It's taken longer. There's a, certainly in the coffee sector. There's a lot of inertia people have with their existing coffee supplier. People aren't prepared to jump out. So um, we've learned a lot about the sort of the timescales uh, there. Other things learning. Um, I we, we we tried to do two things at the same time. We tried to do midnight blue and Amarmus, and I'm convinced. Uh, well, Amarmus is going really really well. You know, I'm I'm, I'm delighted with the direction of travel there. Um, I think we're, we're we're learning more. We're getting better each day at what what we do. I, I I would love to get Midnight Blue away. It's my passion project, but I shouldn't have launched a passion project at the same time as doing uh, the main the main job. Uh, so uh, one only has so much time, and I work all the time. And I but I love what I'm doing. But you can't do that forever. Mm. Um, so even putting in all the hours during the day at night, um, I couldn't I could I, we couldn't get 
even with our team, the two businesses away at the same time to be successful. So um, don't don't buy off yeah, more than you can chew. Don't do too much. You're right. Everything <laughs> no. does take longer. Apparently, it's very common. We we always uh, overestimate what we can achieve in a year and underestimate what we can achieve in three years. And it's pretty much a common human trait, basically. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it does just take time. It's crazy. Um, brilliant. Thank you for sharing your journey and your passion for what you do. And, and thank you, I suppose, for making sure that more places that we all visit have got better coffee. Uh, it's appreciated. If people want to find out more about you, where should they go? I'm, I'm doing a lot on LinkedIn uh, at the moment. So do, do look me up on LinkedIn, uh, either under Amamus, which is A-M-A-M-U-S, um, or under my own. I do a lot of it under my own personal profile. And we've got a website, uh, amamus.coffee. So take a look at that. Um, there's a bit more information there on what, what, what we do. But thank you, Mark. Thanks for thanks for coming down and chatting no to worries. me. It's perfect. Really I will put some links. I've seen you very active on LinkedIn, actually. So I will put some links on the uh, the show notes that go with this episode as well. So humansofhospitality.co.uk. If people go there and just type in Tim, I think you're the first Tim I've done into the little search bar. You will come up and we'll put some links through as well. But uh, good luck. Keep Great. in touch. And uh, thanks very much. Thanks, Mark. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast. And remember that on the website, humansofhospitality.co.uk, every week we put on some show notes and some links through to the various websites or social media that are mentioned. And we also do a nice little breakdown of that week's conversations into specific topics. So you can jump through the podcast and just listen to some of the highlights if you wish. If you've not done so already, if you could leave us a review on iTunes or one of the other podcast players of your choice that would be hugely appreciated thank you so much and uh, we'll be out with another episode next monday